Uh, grab your Bibles, if you will. Grab your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to Luke chapter 13. Still in Luke. <laughs> For a while. <laughs> All right, here we go. Luke, and so you're going to recognize that we read this first part last week, but I'll explain why. So we're going to go back and we're going to start in verse 10 and go through 21. <clears throat> yep, here we go, if I can find it. <laughs> As he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, a woman was there who had been disabled by a spirit for, 18, for over 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called out to her, Woman, you are free of your disability. Then he laid his hands on her, and instantly she was restored and began to glorify God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, responded by telling the crowd, There are six days which work shall be done. Therefore, come on one of those days and be healed on, not on the Sabbath. That's a crotchy old, old man. If you, you know. But the Lord answered him and said, Hypocrites, doesn't each one of you untie his ox or donkey from the feeding trough on the Sabbath? And lead it to water? Satan has bound this woman, a daughter of Abraham, for 18 years. Shouldn't she be untied from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said these things, all his adversaries were humiliated. But the whole crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things he was doing. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And what can I compare it to? Oh, it's like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the sky nested in its branches. Again he said, what can I compare the kingdom of God to? It's like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, even in the midst of, of great oppression and, um, and stubbornness, God, you broke through. You heal, you speak, and Lord, you give hope. And that hope grows as it takes root. That hope grows as you put it into the, 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 dough, the flower of our lives, Lord. We just pray right now here this morning, God, that you would open up your word. That you would show us the goodness. That you would show us the hope. That you would show us the, the, the hope and the peace and the joy and the love of Jesus Christ here this morning. Remind us, Lord, of your nature, your character, your truth, and your presence. Be with us in a powerful way here this morning. Speak through me, your servant, Lord Jesus, here this morning, that we may be all encouraged and edified here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So I've entitled my sermon here this morning, Hope Grows. Now, this may have been a good sermon for you know, a few weeks ago when we had the hope candle, but, um, <laughs> but we, we, uh, we wanted to, I wanted to, to continue with our series in, in Luke because I feel it's important um, for us to continue pressing on and pressing on and pressing on, uh, to stay, stay faithful, to stay uh, fervent, and we'll get to the, in that here in a second as well. Um, but... Specifically, there, there's a movement going on in our world during, during these days. And many are calling it the, the Great Resignation. 
As you've probably noticed all around here, around uh, Belgrade, Bozeman, this area, the what is the number one sign you see everywhere? Help wanted. Now hiring. I've seen that sign since I moved here at Taco Bell. Every, every day, it's there. It's been there for three and a half, almost four years now. Now hiring my booty. You've always been hiring. <laughs> and especially now, everyone and their mom and their dog is hiring. And they're, but they're calling it this great resignation, economists. In China, there's a, a they're calling the movement the lie flat movement. And I read, read an article and how this is a growing movement in our world. Uh, and it's not just here in America. It's in the UK. It's in China. It's in India. It's here. It's all around us. And they're calling it the Great Resi Resignation or the Lie Flat Movement. And because I, I read an article uh, specifically about this, and many, many economists believe that the Western culture of uh, rapid immediacy, uh, like this whole concept of, I want it done yesterday, you know, now, 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 um, the, 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 is, is unsustainable, this unsustainableness of the quick culture, of the now culture, of the microwavable culture, of the throwaway culture. The unsustainableness of this is rapidly um, fading out uh, as millions of people, specifically younger people, people in, in my generation and in the, in the Gen Xers and then the millennials and the, the Zennials or whatever they're calling them, uh, and now this coming up generation, all these, these younger generations are quitting this lifestyle. They're moving out. And it, we, we saw during, during the time of period of COVID that New York lost like over a million people or more. These big urban centers are losing people to places like here. More in the country, more laid back, a slower pace of life, except for Bozeman. No, we're not Bozemans. But this is they're, they're leaving the hustle and bustle because they're done with it. They've found it wanting. They've found it empty. And they're searching for a life that truly matters. Um, and so they're looking for that slower pace, more simplified lifestyles. And this is where the whole movement of minimalism comes from. Have you, have you heard about this minimalism movement? Basically where people own a couple pairs of, of changes of clothes. They, they, they live out of a, a, a pretty small area um, or if they do, they have very few things. They've got like a bed that's on the floor. They've got, <laughs> they've got all these different things that are super, super minimal. They've got literally nothing in their homes, right? Not because they can't afford it, but because they don't want to do this. It's this, this anti-consumerism movement. Um, it's this like this concept of not wanting to throw away anything. Like not so much not throwing any away, like you know, hoarding type stuff, but having nothing to throw away because they're doing things more sustainable. They're bringing their own bags to different places. They're bringing their own containers places and filling them up and in you know, farmer's markets and different things like that to where they're not throwing any, anything that they have is going into a compost pile. They're not throwing anything away. They're not buying things with plastics. All these different things. It's a big movement going on right now. We even see, you know, this. I've been seeing this on, in, in uh, social media. I've been seeing in my feed all these young people my age and younger are now buying homesteads. They're buying farms and getting into farming and ranching, getting into more sustainable ways of life. We're seeing this 
this is this movement it's not simply even a trend so much so that it's been being been getting aware being awareness of uh has been growing among economists and it's worrying a lot of people but it's also inspiring a lot of other people it's almost like this giving us permission to stop joining into the the mentality of things of an anxious society being living in a, a non-anxious lifestyle living a non-hurried lifestyle living a lifestyle that brings fulfillment and cultivation and not just one that is consumer 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 and so as we look at this steady ferment this patient this patient this, this minimalistic mindset this this slow steady pace outside of the the typical the typified american mindset of hustle and bustle and now 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 we get to our story here today and we see what we have what we're what we're finding out here is that the hope of god the kingdom of god grows hope grows it isn't just mass produced quickly hope is is something that needs to sit and slow cook and ferment it's not just something that like you're sad one day and boom you got hope the next like yay little jolt of hope hope is something that is a steady way of being a way of living it's something that grows that brings you out of the the, the despair it's not like you're down here and all of a sudden boom you're up here it's like it's bringing you up to this place but here's the thing about hope what is jesus trying to get at here We've been talking about that Jesus has been <laughs> has been speaking some pretty hard words. These last few weeks have been interesting um, <laughs> when it comes to Jesus's um, call f- calls for change within the the Israeli mindset uh, or perish, and which we find out later that they do all perish, um, and the church gets out of dodge before that happens. But it's this this concept that Jesus is in the world; the Messiah has come. He has been born in Bethlehem and is now fulfilling his ministry in our, in our passages here in Luke. And that this hope, because he is there, he's planting the seed, the mustard seed of hope. He's placing the leaven, the, the sourdough starter in the dough, beginnings of hope, the beginnings of the planting of the kingdom of God, because hope grows because the kingdom of God is unstoppable. The kingdom of God itself is unstoppable. This is why we re- revisited our passage from, from last week. The illustration of how Jesus cultivated life wherever he went. Right? We, we, we uh, talked about last week the, the parables of the, the fig tree and, and the repent or perish. And basically change your mind or you're, or you're doomed. Change your mind or you're, or you're doomed. And how they were doomed. We came to find out. But he was planting these seeds everywhere he went. And this woman is an illustration of that. This is a seed that was planted of hope. And why this one woman? Why is this one woman in Scripture? Because out of this woman, hope grew. One one synagogue, one healing at a time, planting seeds here and there. Planting seeds of the kingdom of God. Seeing how this seemingly insignificant moment in a synagogue would have eternal repercussions. So much so that we're still talking about her today. 
Not only did we talk about it today, we talked about it last week. People read through the scripture every day. Somewhere in the world. Imagine that. Somewhere over in, in Africa or India, some small home church fearing for their lives is reading this passage saying, there's hope. Jesus can heal. Jesus is present. So this is also giving us the setting for our passage here today that we're talking about with with the seeds and the leaven. Because it says, he said, therefore, which you always, you you know, whenever you read the word therefore, you always want to go before that to find out what the therefore is there for. So, So we are here to look at this therefore. Why was the synagogue leader so upset? <laughs> Let's go back a little bit. Why was he upset? Because Pharisees believed that the law, uh, that, that they had to keep the law and the prophets perfectly. They had to not only follow it perfectly themselves, but they had to get the whole nation to follow it perfectly themselves, or at least faithfully enough, um, as a society in order for the Messiah to come. They had to get their lives right. They had to get their lives in order. They had to get their accounts with God reconciled up for God to bring his kingdom. They completely missed the Messiah right in front of them, right there. He was showing them that he was the Messiah, telling them he was the Messiah, and they still missed it. They had missed that the, he had, that the Messiah was standing right in front of them, revealing the kingdom right in front of them. Not because they earned it or deserved it, because they lived right and acted right, became because they weren't. It's or deserving of it, but because God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, so that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have eternal life. That is why Jesus is healing this woman. That is why He's preaching about the kingdom of God. The point. So let's look at these 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 two these two illustrations here. The first is the mustard seed. Right there. That's a itty bit. I mean, it fits in, you know, it's super, super, super tiny. Like the tip of a, of a pen. The tip of a, of a pen is about the size of a mustard seed. You ever seen it in your stone ground mustard that you can get from the store? You can see some of the seeds still in there. Super tiny, like smaller than a BB. It grows into that. Birds come and nest in its branches. And it takes over. If you've ever seen a field of wild, of wild mustard, like not the tree but the plant, it, it plants itself and then it perpetuates like a wildflower and then it, like the next season there's more and the next season there's more and the next season there's more. And there's nothing you could do about it except for trying to like pesticide the whole field. And even then it survives. You cannot stop it. What is the kingdom of God like? It's like this. It's like the tiny little mustard seed yet huge growth. growth. Gigantic bush, tree things. And then the second illustration is the leaven. This is, it's, you know, if you know much about leaven, you know, during, it was the whole craze during the, the you know, that disease that we will not talk about, uh, the virus that, that shall not be named. Uh, <laughs> during the lockdown, everyone and their mom, like, took up sour bread, to make, sour bread making. I don't know what it was. Everyone on my social media, all my friends on Facebook were showing their sour bread recipes. There's one of my friends that's still doing it, and she's amazing at it. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're good. <laughs> Amberlynn even started doing it. We still have our starter from then. And, and so it's, it's like this. You take the starter, and you, you put it in, and like 
you know, 50 pounds of flour. Or as the Bible in the Greek says, three seta uh, of, of flour. This is about, about 50 pounds uh, in our current day measurements. Just to give you a, a, a clue, this is two Costco bags full. <laughs> you, put, you put, one, the, put the starter in it, and after a while, the whole thing was leavened. The whole thing um, was, was risen. There's no part of that, that, that flour that was not affected by that leaven. Because it's a chemical reaction that changes the very, you know, the very chemical substance of the flour, and it just keeps spreading. Anything, you know, the, the wall of it, you know, the leaven's here, the wall of flour's here, and it just keeps moving that wall. Because as it interacts with that new chemical, it's spreading and taking over the flour. So what's the point? What is Jesus trying to get out of here? The smallness of the seed, the small amount of leaven, grows into something larger than anyone could imagine, infiltrating more than they thought was possible and beyond, or beyond all expectations. This is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It grows into something larger than any could imagine, infiltrating more than anyone thought possible and beyond expectations. That is what the kingdom of God is like. It is unstoppable. Nothing can stop the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says this in in Matthew. Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, the gospel proclamation of him as Jesus Christ, the Messiah, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. The kingdom. Now again, who is the kingdom? Us, the church. Church, kingdom. Synonymous. Together. Same thing. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is the church. God's people. Those who have pledged their allegiance in Christ and him alone for for the salvation of their souls. That is the kingdom. That is the church. That is us. What is the kingdom? What is it? We'll just look at, let's, what is the context of a kingdom? Well, the kingdom is simply a place for a king's rule. So wherever a king rules, that is his kingdom. The, king, the kingdom of heaven is the place of God's rule and reign. What is the kingdom of God like? This is how God's rule and reign is being established in the earth. And what is that? Jesus' ministry. Planting seeds for the kingdom here and there. Healing, preaching, his message and his, uh, and his ministry. His mission and his message. That's what it is. His mission and his message. He preached about the kingdom of God and he brought the kingdom of God. He's doing what he's saying and he's saying what he's doing. There's a lot of illustrations in the Old Testament about trees. Lots of different different tree analogies and stuff, right? Um, 
from all these different things for, to basically like the, the tr- a tree's ability to perpetuate itself like a mustard seed um, to the il- illustrations of trees digging down their roots deep into the soil because they know that drought is coming and so they dig them even deeper down extending toward a stream so that even when the heat comes and the drought comes, they've got water that no one knows about. As Jesus said, I have food that you don't know anything about. And what is it? To do my Father's work. To do my Father's will. To do the work of the kingdom. So this concept of, of tree, uh, he's saying that Jesus is, Jesus is, is saying that the, the kingdom is like a tree. He's like this tree from Daniel 4, this, this eternal tree that the animals from all over come and they, and they eat its fruit and the, the birds of the fields come and they nest in its branches. And Jesus is saying, I am this tree. The whole world is coming to me. This is my kingdom. My kingdom is like a tree, deeply rooted and fruiting and, and growing all sorts of kinds of fruit. That's why one of the greatest illustrations is the tree of life in Revelation that was growing on both sides of the river of life growing 12 different kinds of fruit. That tree is Jesus Christ, and the church is all-encompassing that illustration. This is the kingdom of God is, is like a tree. He's saying it's unstoppable. It spreads. It's unkillable. You cannot kill this. You cannot kill this tree. It is an eternal movement that even the very gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, again, remember the kingdom of God is the church. And it's interesting to see that, that Luke, our author here in the book of Luke, is also the author of the book of the greatest story of the kingdom of God expansion, the book of Acts. This is actually two movements of the same work. This is the act, you know, basically Luke could be said, this is the acts of Jesus, and then the, the, I'm sorry, the book of Luke is the acts of Jesus, and the book of Acts is the acts of Jesus through his Holy Spirit. The acts of Jesus through his church. So the acts of Jesus and the acts of the church. He writes about this. But we are still writing that story today. We are a part of it. We are Acts chapter 29. We are the church that, that you know, we are the story that keeps going. We are the church's never-ending story. Anyone remember that old movie, Never-Ending Story? Yes! All right. Fellow movie nerd, all right. We are the never-ending story. The, tr- the story of God is the never-ending story. The true never-ending story. Because even when this world is done and the book has been closed, on this world and this life, our story with Jesus never ends. It goes on and on and on. We are still writing that story. And nothing in this world will stop it. No Starbucks taking Christmas off of their holiday cups you know, will stop it. No government suing churches to try to, you know, because they're open during a pandemic will stop it. No Islamic jihadists beheading Christians on live, t- live internet TV will ever stop. Cannot, they cannot kill the kingdom. Taliban governments killing entire house churches in, in Afghanistan cannot eradicate the church of, the, of Christ. They cannot eradicate the kingdom 
of God. Social media platforms banning churches and pastors from, from their platforms and putting them into Facebook jail cannot silence the kingdom of God. Governments fencing off church buildings and arresting pastors cannot, cannot lock down the kingdom. All it can do is make it leave the, leave the building. All they can do is put pressure on it and make it expand even more. My kids got this uh, <coughs> disgusting, nasty, <coughs> frustrating slime. <coughs> yeah. Your parents know. <coughs> I hate it. <laughs> They're like constantly playing with it on the table, their little chopper thing, and like all the pieces are going everywhere, and I'm like, <coughs> but it's interesting. You can put it all back together. <coughs> You know, it comes all back together again. It's, it's unstoppable. You can't just chop it up and it ruins it. It'll just stick back together. You take it and you put it in your hand and you squeeze it. It goes all throughout your hands. The church of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God, is like slime. The more pressure they put on us, the more we spread. And when we come back together, we mesh right back together. That's a weird illustration. <laughs> Sorry, it just came to my mind. That was off the fly. You're, you're welcome. That, was, that one's for free. Uh, <laughs> but here's the, you know, here's the thing. The kingdom of God will prevail over and against any and every opposition that she faces. Why? Because the king of our kingdom is the Lord Jesus Christ on his throne, ruling and reigning in his kingdom, pouring out grace, pouring out mercy, pouring out his spirit, died on the cross, was buried, rose from the grave three days later, poured himself out and is filling his church to this day. He fills you and you and you and all of us with his wonderful, beautiful, what is it? Hopeful, peaceful, joyful, loving presence. We worship the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The Lord over all creation who created all things by the word of his power. He doesn't only create it, he holds them all together. He holds you together by the word of his power. That is our king. And no government, no economic system, no opposition, no pagan religions, no enemy, not Satan or hell itself, can stand against the church, the kingdom of God. Our king is sitting on his throne today, ruling and reigning, and we, the church, kingdom, are his rule and reign here on earth. We are an outpost of the kingdom of God right here. That is who we are as Shift Church. That is our identity as a local church. We are a local outpost for the governing center of heaven. We are the kingdom. But sometimes we're like, God, where are you? Why, why aren't you coming? Like, what's going on? Like, we, we, so we see this, and we're going to grow the kingdom and do all these things. We feel like a new, you know, Vicini, 
Jesus, I'm waiting. Ordering him in Toya. I hate waiting. I hate waiting. This, this concept is the, uh, that Jesus is preaching about here today, about the growth of the kingdom, how hope grows, how the kingdom of God grows, is both the now and the not yet. What you see right now in this world is not necessarily what you're going to get in the kingdom of heaven. The ultimate example, Jesus dying on the cross. I mean, think about this. Think about Jesus dying on the cross. Think about his disciples. Think about the enemy, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Romans. Think about his disciples. He had about 120 of them that, that, you know, the night before he was crucified, together all in one house observing Passover together. Imagine this. They all thought <clears throat> Jesus was defeated. They all thought this was it. We're seeing that Jesus died on the cross. We're seeing that Jesus was buried. All of our hope, all the hope that you said was going to grow, is dead. It's all the hope was sucked out of our lives, out of this kingdom movement. I mean, Peter was like all, all over you, like, yeah, is this when you're going to do it? Yeah. Cut the guy's ear off. Jesus is speaking, the guy's like, huh? Jesus goes, pops it back on. Can you imagine meeting that guy? What just happened? <laughs> they're, all, they're all in. And Jesus said, no. That's not how it's going to be. I can just imagine Peter you know, standing back there going, Really? So this, wait, what? And what did Peter do? He ran away. And he, he followed him. Amber and I were, read this in our, in our day-to-day Bibles this week. Peter followed. He was like, now? Yeah, yeah now? Now? Oh, you're with Jesus. No, I'm not. No. Oh, you're one of his 12? No, no, I'm not. Are you going to start now? No. Huh? No. What's going on? Oh, yeah, you're, you're a Galilean. You're one of his disciples. No, I don't know him. Cock-a-doodle-doo. Oh, shoot. Ran away. <laughs> Wept bitterly. They were deflated. His disciples were devastated. Think about it. They weren't just disappointed and in in awaiting something. They were like, this is it. This is the end. Our hope was crucified. Our future is done. Think about that. When you lose a job, when you get fired or laid off, like, what am I going to do? It's almost like this, when, you know, you have this vision going forward of your life. You have a relation, you enter into, into a relationship. It doesn't work out. You know, in our dating days, you know, we, we were investing our whole lives in, like, this relationship, and all of a sudden she dumps me, and I'm like, what is my life now? I had all my hope vested in this one relationship, and now my entire future has been erased. Now my entire future is gone. What's next? What's going on? The enemy, I thought they won. It was dark. It was a dark time. It's a dark time when you feel like your enemies have won. We can feel that. We feel like the enemy of this world has been succeeding during these last couple of years with fear. And with oppression, with anger and 
fights now in amongst humanity that, that hadn't been there before, or at least they're just now exacerbated? A disunity in society, a distrust of one another? Like the other day I was in, in line and someone was, you know, was like, I was like, I didn't cough. I took a shower. Like, seriously? The spirit of division, we can live in, in societies and just feel like this hopelessness all around us, that darkness is, has won or is winning at least. But, but God. Do you hear words, right? But Sunday's coming. We may be feeling like we're living in a, in a good Friday moment. But Sunday's coming. In our world, we need the reminder of that hope. We need the reminder of that joy. We need the reminder of that peace and God's love in the, in the midst of a world that's gone nuts. It's always been nuts. It's always been crazy. Just read a history book. <clears throat> but in our quick culture, our culture of quick, We are so in front of our faces focused that we can't see generations down the road. We're we're focused on here and now. And there's there's a saying that I heard recently, and I I just love this saying. Write it down if you have a chance. You overestimate what you can accomplish in a year. You're doing a project, or you're trying to change, you're trying to go in a different direction. You well overestimate what you can do in a year, but you far underestimate what you can accomplish in five. Just doing little things here and there, improvements every single year, doing things different every single year. You'll be f- much in a much different place. <clears throat> There's a book called the the the, the patient firm, firmament. Ferment, patient ferment. Uh, it's basically the description of this of this book. Um, the author basically the, the the book is all about this that the church in the in the early first century grew because the virtue of patience was of central importance in the life and witness of the early Christians. They wrote about patience, not evangelism, and reflected on prayer, discipleship, and worship. Yet, the church grew, not by specific strategies, but by patient ferment, by leavening. Leavening is not a quick process. True leavening, when you, when you, you add, add leaven to that much flour, it probably took them, probably, it took, you know, quite a lot, I mean, months, if not years, for that whole thing to ferment together. But God is patient. God is so we should be too. To be a non-anxious presence in an anxious world. This is what it says in Second Peter. Don't imagine, dear friends, that God's time timetable is the same as ours. As the psalm says, For with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. Now the Lord is not slow about enacting his promise. Slow is how some people want to characterize it. No, he is not slow, but patient and merciful to you, not wanting anyone to be destroyed, but wanting everyone to turn away from following his own path and to turn towards 
God's. I'm learning patience <laughs> to slow down, to be content and intentional. That big word, big I word, intentional. What does it mean to be intentional and patient in our lives? My kids uh, go to Petra Academy, and one of the, thing, the things that kind of weirded me out at, the, at, uh, at, at first was that they were not going to learn how to write in printing. I was like, what? What are they going to learn? They're, they were going to l learn, initially, they were going to start by learning cursive. And I was like, my kids? And they do. And so because part of their philosophy is that they want to focus on beauty, bringing out the beauty of God's creation. And so even with writing, they want writing to be beautiful. So I was like, oh. I'll try it myself. Revisiting, how do I do a cue again in cursive? You know, I had to Google it a couple times. It's been a while. I started writing in cursive, and Amberlynn's like, hey, I can read your writing now. <laughs> but I, I, I was training myself, so this week, when I was preparing my sermon, I wrote all of my notes in cursive. And, and I had to slow down. My mind couldn't just race as, as quick as it, as it usually does, and I couldn't just... <laughs> I had to slow down and remember how to draw certain letters and all sorts. I had to slow down in my, in my sermon, pro sermon preparation process. Everything that we do as a church is not specifically because it's part of like some strategic plan, but is done with the desire to be steadily faithful. Every day, making small steps in the right direction. Small steps same direction. Investing in the virtue of patience. Write that down. The virtue of patience. But after all, patience is what? One of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. So what does it mean to cultivate a spirit of patience? The fruit of patience in our lives. What do we do? What, so if, if we're going to take our time, just kind of slow down, you know, take, take a chill pill, what do we do? What are these little steps? We devote ourselves, as it says in Acts, devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. It's so simple. Even as Paul wrote it later on in, in 2 Corinthians, he said this, Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice! We should rejoice. As a church, we, we're not supposed to be fuddy-duddies. They didn't play the right music I like. I don't know why the row is old. I don't know. Sorry, Barb. <laughs> rejoice! Become mature. Be encouraged. Be of the same mind. Be at peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. We preach, we pray, we fellowship, and we worship. It's pretty simple. Don't have to make our faith super complex. We got to go win the world for Christ today, now. Patient, ferment, live faithfully, do good, 
talked about last week, cultivate life. Take every opportunity that you can to sow life, to cultivate life wherever you go. This is something that N.T. Wright spoke. Whenever you break satanic chains that have tied people up, another victory is won, which will go on having repercussions. Like our passage here this morning with this woman being healed. This was Jesus breaking these satanic chains, freeing people you know, that were tied up, and another victory was, victory was, was won. And because of these different seeds, different chain reactions of the kingdom of God just took off. Every time that you go and you do something intentionally out of love and, and love for the person through the love of Christ, you're planting seeds of the kingdom of God that he will bring to fruition. All you got to do is plant the seeds. God will water it and bring it, and, and bring it to fruition. But take every opportunity that you have to go and plant seeds. Because if every one of us keeps planting seeds of good and of righteousness of the kingdom of God everywhere that we go, hope grows. Hope grows. And hope grows because the kingdom of God is unstoppable. You are unstoppable because the kingdom of God lives through you. You take the kingdom of God and plant the kingdom of God everywhere that you go. If you are faithful to go and do that, the gates of hell won't even prevail against you. The gates of hell cannot prevail against us. What can they, what can they do? Kill us? Right, we were Jesus. Woo! Yep. Jesus promised us that we'll be hated. When we speak the truth, we will be hated. When we love unconditionally the way that God's love truly writes, not the way that this world has distorted it, when we truly love others, it could upset them. could upset them. could offend them. But, but God will work and bless as you are faithful. So go and sow the kingdom of God. Do good, live faithfully, cultivate life everywhere you go because hope grows because the kingdom of God is unstoppable. Jesus, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the reminder that we are your kingdom. We are your presence in this world. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, Lord. And Lord, we come to be with you. Your saints are here to worship you, Lord. Your your bride is here to be with you. Lord, cultivate hope through us, in us, that we can sow one to another and sow out into the world. Let us see how we can sow and plant and cultivate life here amongst us as brothers and sisters and to take that and sow seeds of, of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this world everywhere we, everywhere we go. Lord, empower us with your spirit. Water the seeds that we plant. Show us where to plant seeds. Give us opportunities to plant seeds, God. Lord, pour into us life. Give us Hope, God. Show us your hope, Lord. Let your hope 
first grow in us that we may bring it to others and to this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.